Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Certified Forgotten. I have to admit, uh, we're recording this episode on November 2nd. Halloween's over. I'm feeling a little bummed. I'm feeling a little bit of the post-spooky season high. I put on some Sufjan Stevens Christmas music today. It feels like a real transitional piece. So it's a bit of a bummer, but you know what? Spooky season lives inside of us all along. The real spooky season was in us uh, all along. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are listening to still the only podcast that deals with horror films with 10 or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. That is our criteria, and we are fucking sticking to it. I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, who may also be feeling some of the post-spooky season blues. It's Matt Donato. How you doing, bud? Okay, number one, fuck you. You're part of the problem. No Christmas music until December. Absolutely not. No. No. Bad monocle. Number two... I'm actually super stoked. Spooky season is over. I'm going to be out of character. I am so <laughs> tired. Um, I literally the last week and a half, I haven't watched movies. I've like literally abandoned the idea that I have to watch movies all the time to keep up with things. And I'm like, if I watch a single other movie after doing the run from Fantasia all the way to Brooklyn Horror, all the way to, to Halloween, I think I might have just like walked away forever. So I've, I've been in a little like, you know, a little period of rest, let's say that I'm now coming out of because once again, Deadlines are a thing. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, we're we're happy. We're in a lot of emotions. But at the same time, Christmas horror is coming back in full force. So, of course, we have things to look forward to. That's true. And I will, Donata, to the point that you made, I will point out that Christmas music is a year-round thing in my household. Those uh, Sufjan Steven albums find their way onto the record player, usually as, as early as March of the year. You disgust uh, me. No. It's fine. No. Hey, I want to, I want to, I'm really excited about today's guest for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the movie that they brought us, but I'm particularly excited because I got to meet our guest um, at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, which we were at last month. We had a really nice conversation in particular about alien graphic novels. I'm sure that'll come up in a moment. Um, but it's also, it was just like, it's the reason we do festivals like that. It was so fucking cool. Yes, we got to talk to Larry Fessenden and that was really neat. But more importantly, we get to make cool connections. <laughs> it, we, he, yeah, uh, he's, he's, uh, he humored me, but he seemed to really like Donato. So it, that, that was fine. But Donato, please, this is a great, great segue. Please introduce our guest for this week. Indeed, yes. You met this person at Brooklyn Horror. I have known this person for entirely longer, uh, whether they were coming out to watch little movies we would program at a Brooklyn uh, theater, didn't dine in theater, me and Eric Wolkowski, Mr. Trani would come, or it, whether it was hanging with Ted, Ted Gagan, whether it was literally anything in New York City, I feel like I keep running into John. So our guest this week is Mr. John Tarani, 20-year industry professional, has done it all, jack of all trades, Mr. Tarani, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt, and also thank you, Matt. Uh, this is, uh, I'm very excited to be talking about this movie. I feel like I am a... Um, I feel like I was the only American person to have seen it for a weird period. Um, mm. And I've been telling as many people as I possibly could to go see it. Uh, and no one really has seen it. So I'm hoping that this podcast brings some more attention to the film Outpost. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be talking about this movie. Before oh, Monagle does his thing, I do want to oh, say yeah, like this has been on my list for a little bit. Um, I, mm -hmm. So I guess I'm in the right circles to say where they they have had the same enthusiasm as you, John. And it, it, I've actually been dying to cover this because I hadn't seen it yet. We'll get into that later. So very happy you brought it. But also, you're not alone. Don't worry. There's others out there. Yeah, we are. Um, we are always the most excited, I think, when, you know, th listen, 
the podcast is designed to, sh- to shed a light particularly on films that have kind of fallen through the cracks of, of the, the festival scene, right? Like stuff we've seen at previous versions of festivals like Fantastic Fest and Brooklyn Horror. But the DTV scene, especially over the last 10 years, kind of fucking rules. And it's nice whenever we get to go take a look at, at some of those films too, because those don't always get to get the light of day. Those don't always get the same sort of shelf life, even as, as some of the festival films, because they don't have the same cachet. They didn't play at a fantastic fest. There aren't people that said, oh, I saw this on the big screen. Everybody's just sort of like, yeah, I, rent, I rented it for $3.99 off of iTunes or whatever 10 years ago. That's that's our. There, there's not a lot of mystery or aura to that. So super happy to be talking about a film like this. But before we get into all of that, uh, John, I want to start off by talking a little bit about your relationship to horror. Donato introduced you as, as a jack of all trades, which I think is a really fun introduction for anybody to have. And I'm kind of curious, when you were in your early relationship with the horror genre, were you were, were you always somebody that said, I'm going to be on the other side of the camera? Like as you were growing up watching movies, you were like, I'm going to do shit. I'm going to be part of making horror movies. Or were you just like, oh, this is really cool and I want to like enjoy more of them? Yes, I've always been interested in the process. And there was, um, going back uh, to the early 80s, because I was born in 80, um, there was a show on Nickelodeon hosted by Leonard Nimoy called Standby Lights, Camera, Action. And they would just do a half hour behind the scenes little features on movies that were coming out at the time. Um, One of the ones that I remember, one of the episodes I remember was on Return of the Jedi. And um, that just, uh, I'm not going to get into how I feel about Star Wars now, but as a three-year-old, as someone who was three when Return of the Jedi came out, I could tell you I was truly, truly taken by the creature effects, the Jim Henson creature effects in that movie, even though I knew how they were made from, from that show hosted by Leonard Nimoy. So I always had an interest uh, in behind-the-scenes documentaries, and I would always watch uh, behind-the-scenes documentaries when they would air on HBO. Um, this going back to um, a land uh, or a, a land at a time before the DVD extra. Uh, occasionally, HBO would show behind-the-scenes makings of films uh, to promote the film. Uh, yeah. One that I got really caught up in was um, 1997's Event Horizon. And they would show the making of Event Horizon before the film hit theaters. So I, I had been really caught up in the, the hype of that movie before uh, I, had, I had actually seen it. Um, and even knowing the behind-the-scenes story, I was still really into the movie when I finally got to see it theatrically. Um, so um, the answer is yes. I'd always had an interest in wanting to be a part of the industry, either subconsciously or finally consciously. I, I didn't really understand you could have a job. Like I, I knew mm-hmm. that people did have jobs and that people did make these things, but I had no idea that I could do that too until I got to high school when I had a friend whose dad was involved in financing films and financing uh, films in Ireland. And um, he had it, uh, my, my, my best friend from high school had it uh, in his mind that he was going to go to NYU while we were in high school. So 
basically he, uh, both of us, he was like, you know, I, so I was like, well, you want to do that. I want to do that also. So we yeah. both applied to NYU. We both got rejected. Um, we both ended up at Hofstra. And then while we were at, while we were at Hofstra, I, I, I loved it. I, 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 I decided I was going to stay at Hofstra and basically be a big fish in a small pond. He, which he regrets, went to and transferred to NYU and accrued, you know, millions of dollars in student loan debt, which he only just started paying, you know, which he only finished paying off now uh, in his 40s. Sorry, Connor. But, you know, he's a very successful AD working on um, Dick Wolf projects. Okay. So, yeah, so basically he ended up in production and I ended up in post. So I, I didn't know we friends. had the... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I didn't know we had the Hofstra connection. I don't know how that didn't come. I'm, I'm a Hofstra grad too. Um, I went to the business school hilariously. I, I didn't go for Hofstra film, which is a tremendous program. I had plenty of friends that go through it. Um, but it's it's very funny that we ended up, again, in the same circles, having so many similarities that, that you said that. And like, I immediately just lit up like, oh my God, like fucking another Hofstra grad. Like I never really, never really run into them in, in, in the public. Yeah. Have you, have you run into Adam Green out in L.A.? I, so I've never run into him. I I have tweeted, I have texted stuff like that. I have never run into him though in LA because okay. an, another Hofstra grad. I know one of the, one of the few. Well, yeah. Um, so that's that's where I ended up. But but before Hofstra, um, I actually had my first industry job. Technically, was I worked at my local video store, and it was an independent video store. It's the video store that everyone would want to work at. Uh, they had the porno room, everything. So that was like my first official job within the industry. And that was, and obviously while I was there, I would take horror movies home, you know, nightly, whatever, you know, that's how I found, that's how I discovered the Phantasm series. I didn't even know about it until I was working at the video store and we got what's called the demo tape for Phantasm 4. And there was a little documentary on the rest of the franchise on that tape. So I said, uh, not only am I going to watch Phantasm 4 before it's out, I'm going to take home the rest of the franchise right now and just, and just watch those, you know, cause I, I never even, I've been completely, I, it was a blind spot for me, you know, because here's the thing, if it's not playing on cable, there's really no way for me to even know about it back then, you know? So it was, um, uh, it, the video store was like a kind of a, a real life changing thing for me. And it's something that basically a lot of people talk about and it, it really, is why I have my love for physical media. And one thing I will talk about on every podcast is I, I will talk about the importance of physical media. And what I will say to everyone is you don't need to have a thousand titles, you, but you do need to have your favorites because like I say on every podcast, you know, Fahrenheit 451 can happen. Okay. And you're just like, Oh, John, that's crazy. They're not going to, they're not going to send guys around with flamethrowers to burn our physical media. Yeah. They don't need to do that. We gave it away willingly. They have the delete key. It's way easier than guys with flamethrowers. They can just hit delete, right. and there goes your movie. So anyway, the, the video store helped me have a great appreciation for physical media. And you can't see it now, but in the next room going that way, there, there, I, I built my own like little video store. So I have shelves that, that I right. custom made for my VHS tape. So they just come off the wall just enough for the tape to fit. So, um, a lot of them are, are actually from my, my video store. So it's, it, 
it's not lost on me, John, when you're talking about formative experiences. You've mentioned uh, Phantasm. You've mentioned yep. Event Horizon. I'm, yep. I'm only hearing horror. So was it was right. it sort of? And I'm, I know you're catering to the the, the audience here. Yeah. It is a horror podcast after all. But was it all? Was that always the genre that, like, from the beginning, that was the one that stood out to you? Uh, no, um, and that's kind of why this movie is so special. So, um, my parents. Uh, I'm going to go back to my parents real quick. So um, they kind of had. Uh, weird rules that some of them were, you know, written, some unwritten um, about what I could or couldn't watch. What I couldn't watch was very, very limited. <laughs> um, I got to watch a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been allowed to. Um, and that kind of, uh, it's not horror, but it's horror adjacent. That That is how I got my love of true crime um, was basically, well, like, well, it's a real, if it, if it was a documentary, I was allowed to watch it. Didn't matter if it was about the Holocaust, didn't matter if it was about David Koresh, didn't matter what it was about. Little John was allowed to watch it if it was like a real thing. Or if faces it was news, I was allowed to watch it. Okay, well, all right. So I was going to say, face, Faces of Death, where does that fit into the, the documentary? That will come role? later. Right? Faces of Death okay, is a right, real right, thing. Right. I got to save Faces of Death for, uh, because I've, I'm, I'm involved in some, I may or may not be involved in some things involving that uh that may or may not be happening next year that i can't really get into that's a story basically does a story for another day but um as far as my true crime uh love that stems from me being a little kid the second thing that i was allowed to watch no matter what doesn't matter if it was rated r didn't matter i was allowed to watch war films because my parents love war films and my parents love films in general um they just hate the multiplex so they'll go to the theater, but it has to be an art house. They don't like multiplexes. So therefore, they're not going to take me to a multiplex. I didn't go to a multiplex until a babysitter took me. My parents wouldn't take me to the multiplex. So basically, um, and because they love movies and they wouldn't go to the multiplex, they had the best cable package that they could get from when I was a kid. Like I, I, I don't remember not having HBO. I don't remember not having cable. It's like when cable was available in the early eighties, they had it. So like my, like my first time seeing star Wars, it was, it was on a Betamax tape that they taped for me. My first time seeing Raiders lost Ark, It was a Betamax tape that they taped for me. So a lot of, they would, they would, they would tape things and let me watch. If it was on late at night, they would tape things and let me watch them. So basically, to answer your question, is aside from horror, I, I, I was really into these war films that my parents would watch. And two, like two of my favorites kind of directly are, are related to Outpost. And those are um, The Dirty Dozen with Lee Marvin. Okay, it's Men on a Mission. All right. And then um, The Guns of Navarone. With uh, which is an amazing cast. If you've never seen this movie, this is a, like a very good movie. It's, it's Anthony Quinn, Gregory Pe- Gregory Peck is like the leader of the team, and they're they have to like sneak their way through Greece and then like climb up a mountain and blow up these two massive German guns. Okay, that have been sinking ships in the Mediterranean. That's like the plot of the movie, and and you've got um. Uh, Gregory Peck's the leader. You have Anthony Quinn, who's like this, like, um, uh, like Greek uh, uh, general. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, 
I'm trying like hard not to get my facts wrong, just but a quick big, like history background. Like so, Greece is at war with is 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 with the Allied powers. So they're they're you know and and they're uh at, they're at war with Italy of the Axis powers throughout World mm-hmm. War Two. So basically, so like Gregory uh, uh, Anthony Quinn is a a is on the side of the Allies uh, with um, also it's like an all star like you know the team is made of guys of different countries. So David Niven um, plays a British explosives expert. And it's especially cool to have David Niven in any World War II movie because David Niven is actually a World War II veteran himself. Um, so, uh, so, so this this movie definitely shaped my appreciation of Outpost. This like multi-ethnic team being sent into this like seemingly impossible situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, uh, so like war films are definitely something that I've always had uh, an affinity for just because I can't remember a time where I wasn't watching them. Like, I don't remember the first, I remember the first time I saw Dirty Dozen because I got really upset when, um, I didn't cry, but I got really upset when uh, James Brown gets killed at the end. I thought that was like such like a ripoff. I was like so mad at that. But um, I, I can't remember having not seen The Guns of the Navarone. I just, I just, it's like a thing where I just have always been aware of it. I just always remember it. It's always it's always interesting to me to hear like our guests come on and tell stories like you're telling and they tell their upbringing and they tell like the rules of the house and stuff. And mm-hmm. The rules of my house were so simple. It was just like, if you're not 13, you don't get to watch PG-13. If you're not this, you can't watch that. Like anything yeah. bloody is bad. Uh, so like, I just find it really interesting to hear like your upbringing was because we've had people come in and say, oh, I got to watch all the weird horror movies that were about supernatural shit and unreal shit because I could as a child i could look at that and my parents could know i could look at that and say oh well that's not real so that's not scary where like i love it's the reverse where your parents were just like well it's real and the real world is fucking horror so like yeah, yeah. you need to see this yep, yep. so it's imp- so yeah so so yeah like i like i i can measure i measure my life kind of in true crime moments where but th- that's more of like a tv those are more like tv moments so i don't i don't want to get into uh i don't want to get into those too much i'd rather just talk about the the movies right now the, 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 the way I watched horror was I would just get up early. I would get up at like four o'clock in the morning and there'd be movies still playing from the other night. And that's how I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space while, while it aired on cable. You know, that like, so that's how, that's how I would see horror was I would just wake up early and, and watch it then. So, you know, and also by the time I was 13, they stopped paying attention to whatever I was doing anyway. So, yeah. you know, it was like, well, we're not going to, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, my parents had three kids. So I'm the oldest. So basically it was like, you know, we have this nice TV in our living room that, that has cable. We want to watch that. So we have to give these three asshole kids their own TV so that they're in their rooms, like away, you know, watching whatever. I'm sure it's fine, you know, and we can watch whatever we want on this nice TV that we have. So that, that's kind of how, you know, it that's just kind of how it went. So by the time I was 13, it was, you know, I had my own TV in my, in my bedroom that was being fed cable. So, you know, I just, that's, that's, that's when I really got into, uh, horror. So, so, you know, so like brain scan, you know, is mm-hmm. something like, so like those like early to mid nineties when they, when those, when the early nineties films were coming on cable, like that's when I really got into horror with, you know, demon night from dusk till dawn, um, Jason goes to hell, 
uh, whatever, you know, Brain Scan, as I said, One More Man, like th- those films were, were, the, were the ones that, you know, I, I was really uh, kind of like, those were like the first horror films I was intentionally watching by myself that I was not sneaking around to watch. I love the, um, I'm the oldest of two and, and I love, and it's come up a couple of times with, with friends and people I've talked about. It does feel like your parents get to a certain age and they're like, well, if we were going to fuck them up, it would have already happened. And so they basically just like, they're like, you, you know, it, the rains come off a little bit and they're like, media is a battle that we don't want to have. Like you can read whatever books you want. You can watch whatever movies we like. We know where you are at 10 PM every night. That's the battle we want to fight. That's the one that we win. So you're certainly not the first person I've talked to who's basically been like, yeah, like in my early teens, my parents were like, you're not going to be a problem. You, you go ahead and watch whatever you want. Yeah. So, you know, they stopped, they stopped paying attention to what I was watching. I love that. So, um, and I'm curious too, because you talk about getting really into horror, you know, a lot of the, um, lower budget or cable stuff, there's sort of that joy of, of filmmaking that comes across the screen a little bit more where like, I always think of maybe it's a weird analogy, but I always like to think of kind of like the horror audience as being sort of similar to magic fans and that like they like they like being uh, deceived. They like watching a magic trick happen and be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. But they also want to fucking know the mechanics of it, too. Sure. Like they're people that want to like be able to go do that. Yeah. Was that an experience that, that, that you had was like the notion of especially because you're a behind the scenes kind of guy the notion of wanting to figure out how some of this stuff was made on screen and, 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 and understand that conceptually as part of your enjoyment of the film. Um, it, it's difficult for me to say. Um, there was never an effect. I, I, it's, it's kind of like almost like a chicken and the egg kind of thing where I, uh, I never watched something and said, I wonder how they did that. I need to see the making of. But whenever I would watch a making of, I would always be really impressed with whatever it is they did to make the effect like an, another one another thing that hbo would play uh was the abyss so i remember watching the making of the abyss which is oh, yeah, you know, yeah. a massive massive undertaking and it was funny while i was like in the market was while the abyss was being marketed and stuff i never once said i wonder how they made that i would like to see how they made that but once it was put in front of me i was enamored buy it so i it's, i don't know if that answers your question or if that makes even yeah. make sense <laughs> but now, yeah, now like, i mean now for me i i do seek out making ofs and um j- just just for my own personal you know knowledge now i say now that i'm in the industry i i am now more curious about that at the time i didn't really think about it i just i just kind of appreciated it at the time and i I know that you picked this movie. You talked a little bit about your um, your love of the horror genre because of your parents, yes. or sorry, of the war genre yes. because of your parents. Yes. Picking the movie that you did today, which we'll get to in just a, in just a minute here. Um, I'm curious how that particular intersection, because I've always been a big fan of like soldiers versus monsters. That is the best and the most often not, it doesn't love me back. It very rarely loves me back. But it, if you want to pitch me on a movie and you want to get my butt in the seat, tell me that it's soldiers versus monsters. Like the, my favorite trope since the first time that I watched Aliens. How has that experience been for you seeking out movies like that over the years? Because there's some really good ones, but my God, there's some really bad ones too. Yeah, um, it's it's been uh, interesting, and I'm I'm trying to get it. Uh, th- this is kind of um, a uh, th- they're definitely hit and miss, and I mm-hmm. think 
a big part of it is having an understanding of the military. And I think a lot of people get into it without, without having that understanding. And being that I got kind of got into military films first and um, that, that that's, uh, I, I'm also a, um, you know, like I'm, uh, mm, uh, I'm trying to decide if I should get into this part of it now. Uh, I, let me just answer your question. Um, as far as military and horror goes, I've, I, they've definitely been hit, hit and miss. Um, I, before this movie came out, I had been really into seeking out the movie Shockwaves. Um, mm-hmm. Say, that's a really good name for a podcast. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about calling this podcast Shockwaves. Uh, it's, it, it's, unfortunately, it's not up for grabs. Yeah. It's not? It's, it may, <laughs> so anyway. There may be some folks that have taken it, yes. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, let's, uh, uh, there's this, uh, it's directed by uh, Ken Weinhorn, um, who directed Return of the Living Dead Part 2. And it's basically about a scientist, uh, about a guy um, who's on this kind of marooned himself on this island, um, and these people show up on the island and they disturb this uh, wrecked ship, which housed these uh, basically um, German submariners who were experimented on, so that they could stay under water indefinitely. They were, they were, they were, he's, he explains through dialogue that the idea was that they could be part of a submarine that would never need to surface. And, you know, when the war ended, he scuttled the submarine. So this wrecked, um, this shipwreck off this uh, remote island housed these, uh, these undead submariners. And it gets disturbed by you know these people on vacation or something and then the the soldiers come out and they kill everybody i thought this concept was awesome um the execution i thought was maybe not so great um i went back and rewatched it um just so i could compare it to outpost i, I rewatched outpost and then i watched shockwaves just to see uh how not good it was if it was as poor as i remember and it was better than I had remembered it. It's, it's not terrible and unwatchable. It's just not great. It was, it was a good concept, but not executed very well. Um, that's an example of one that I wish was better. But one that I, I do think is great, and I think is a great companion piece to Outpost, is Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. I feel like that, that's really good, and there's a lot of similarities to that and Outpost. Um, and I feel like they would make a really great double feature, um, just uh, like the siege uh, aspect of them. Both are by British directors, uh, and I think both are, are you know, are, are, are really good. So it really depends. I mean, nothing is ever going to top Aliens. I even mentioned I wrote a note about Aliens, saying that's probably the best military horror film, and I don't think anything will ever top it. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, there's definitely room for a, a really, uh, really great military horror. And just, you know, I, I feel that there are some really good concepts that just people haven't executed well. Um, I think the, I think the coolest thing, the coolest, absolute coolest thing would be if someone made a reanimator movie 
set during the Civil War from which the H.P. Lovecraft story was actually written, I think that would be like the coolest thing in the world. I, th I think instead of, I, I think if it was thrown back to the Civil War, I think that would be absolutely awesome. I think a Texas Chainsaw film set during the Civil War would be like the coolest thing in the world, you know, um, but uh, anyway, you know, there, there, there has not been, uh, since aside from Aliens, it, there's nothing will ever top it, but I am always hopeful. I'm, I'm, will always give everything a shot. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's definitely a lot of, of, uh, potential out there, but nothing, nothing has really, um, uh, come close to aliens. Well, I, I love you bringing up Neil Marshall because as you're saying that I'm thinking about other military horror movies. Number one, there is a civil war zombie movie called exit humanity. That is actually pretty dope. Um, and if, if you've never seen that, it's just a very fun way to do zombies during the Civil War. Fucking bang on. But going back to Neil, Neil Marshall, I think of two examples recently for me that highlight the highs and lows of military horror movies. And like the high being Overlord. I think Overlord is... Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, like tremendous yeah. way to do a war film that is also a horror film. It's all intertwined. You care enough about the military aspects in that film. And the filmmakers actually do put so much effort into like making you feel like you're in a war movie that is overtaken by this, again, kind of Lovecraftian a little bit like horror film. And then you have Neil Marshall's The Lair. And it, it's one of his recent uh, collaborations with Charlotte Kirk and just god awful, absolutely dog shit. Um, and it's because you're watching this movie that in no way feels like it gives a shit about any military in any country, any like, like you're watching this and the characters are dressed in clothes that like military, like tacticians would never wear. They're saying things they would never say. They're doing things that actual like professionals would never do. And that is such a sticking point for me where like, if you do want to do an outpost type horror film that involves military characters, like you have to do the base value knowledge. Like, my roommate always comments because, uh, like, you know, growing up, she did ROTC and stuff like that. And you can tell immediately whether a filmmaker knows what they're doing if something like a beret is on correctly. And like she made the joke on looking at the outpost uh, poster being like, oh, look, the beret is on. They actually know what they're talking about. But so many movies can't even get that little detail right. So that's the thing. Like you see so many military horror films these days and so many of them just don't care to do any work to make it look like it's actually militaristic and he cares about that and that, that's really sad uh, about neil's movie because uh dog soldiers i think is so good you know i feel i feel i i, I feel bad that that movie is not good i wish he would uh make movies more like the descent and dog soldiers and less collaborations with charlotte kirk let's just put it that way and doomsday yep yeah um uh anyway so should, should i talk about should I tell you guys about how I first saw um, Outpost? Because it's kind of a funny story. Let's uh, let's actually we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, John, we're going to dive right into to that piece too. So stick with us. It is time to talk about Outpost. We'll be right back. <laughs>
All right, everybody, welcome back. So on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Outpost. Here's my little spiel. I'm going to read it word for word. Outpost is a 2008 war horror film directed by Steve Barker and starring Ray Stevenson and the ever-terrifying Richard Brake. As a gun for hire, Stevenson's DC is used to going where the money takes him, so when DC is hired by a mysterious businessman to extract something of unknown value from an Eastern European war zone, he and his crew are quick to take the job. But soon, the squad of mercenaries find themselves facing off against the greatest of the cinematic baddies, a platoon of undead Nazi soldiers. The first of three direct-to-video movies in a trilogy, Outpost joined Punisher Warzone that same year as the films that would launch Ray Stevenson's action movie career. John, before we went to break, you said you have a story about how Outpost got put on your radar. I want to hear it. Lay it on me. Okay, so it's uh, 2008. And I am, for, I forget why, but I'm in North Hollywood and I'm staying at Spooky Dan's house. And at this time, uh, Ryan Turek was also living at Spooky Dan's house. And Ryan Turek was working for Shock to Drop and Spooky Dan was working for Bloody Disgusting. And this is before like streaming and links and everything. This is when mm. you would get sent DVDs. So while I was staying on Spooky Dan's couch, the doorbell would ring every 15 minutes. Oh, it's DHL with some DVD screeners for, you know, both people. Oh, it's UPS. Oh, now it's FedEx. Now it's some hand courier, something. So, so DVDs were, they would just pile and pile and pile, pile up in this house of, of, of movies to watch. So basically at the time, the two movies that everyone had seen um, that I needed to see were inside and martyrs. So I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to take it, take those out of the sack. And then I see Ray Stevenson. Okay. Staring back at me in this movie called outpost. And I'm like, that looks cool. It's, you know, um, and then, uh, Dan said, Oh, rumor gave that movie a good review. So I was like, Oh, all right, well I'll watch it, but I'm going to watch it last because I don't know anything about it. And I have to see these clips. I have to see these other two films. So I watch them and I'm like, all right, they're okay. It's now late at night. Everyone has finally gone to sleep. I'm the only one awake. And I put on Outpost. And I was with it from start to finish more, way more than I was with Insider Mortars. And I would say the reason why I was so with it is for, for a couple reasons. Um, one, there's the background that I mentioned, uh, that I have about like war films and men on a mission films. But, Mm -hmm. um, what you don't realize is, um, there were two other things that were happening in like the news at that time that really, um, kind of stuck with me either consciously or subconsciously. Um, so the year prior in 2007, there was a thing that happened in Iraq called the, um, Misaur Square Massacre. And this was a incident where uh, mercenaries, or as they're called now, independent security contractors, mm-hmm. um, allegedly opened fire on a group of innocent people in Iraq. Okay. Now this um, kind of put mercenaries or independent security contractors uh, in, in the news um, at the time. So I kind of like started like, all right, and people were talking about them at the time. They were called Blackwater. They're still around. They go by a different name, 
Um, so uh, I, I, I was like, oh, this is, I, I thought maybe, oh, is this how like Blackwater gets hired? This, the movie opens with Ray Stevenson in a bar getting hired by a business guy. Um, it's way easier to hire mercenaries than that. You kind of just go to their website and you hire them, you know? So like that's, you know, but I'm sure mercenaries do get hired in bars too. But, you know, uh, like I, I was very, I was very interested in, in like the, the world of independent security contractors um, simply based on, because of the situation that was happening in Iraq at the time. Yeah. The second thing that really caught that, that is mentioned within the movie um, that was happening at the time was uh, CNN put out a documentary called Scream Bloody Murder. It's directed by journalist Christian Amanpour. And I had probably seen this right around the time that I watched Outpost. And what this documentary is about, it's about all the incidents of genocide that have happened in the world since World War II. And when in Outpost, when they finally get to the bunker, there's that part where, uh, and they see all of like the bodies stacked up. Um, Mm -hmm. The assumption is that these were part of uh, ethnic cleansing, which is covered in that documentary, uh, Scream Bloody Murder. So I was familiar with this situation that happened in Bosnia in the uh, early 90s, where um, basically there was a what they called uh, uh, ethnic cleansing, where as Yugoslavia was breaking up, um, there was infighting and then ultimately a, a genocide of uh, Muslim uh, people uh, in, in Bosnia. Um, a European history teacher would, would say, I just completely like gave an oversimplification butchering of that. Yeah. But for the purposes of this podcast, that's all you need to know. So having been aware of that, and mind you, I didn't read any of the back of the DVD. I just kind of put it in. I was like, oh shit, how is that? playing into this movie. So again, that like drew me in further because at this point I didn't know that it was about that. There was like a supernatural part of it even necessarily. I was just kind of watching the movie, like wondering how ethnic cleansing is going to play into this DVD that I found in spooky dance house. So, uh, this again, all kind of led to my, uh, appreciation for the movie. So I'm with the movie um, with these like two kind of recent things um, in in my mind, wondering how they factor factor into the film. Um, so yeah, that that that's that's basically how I saw it and why I got into it uh, as 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 quickly as as much as I did. It is like compared to a lot of films, one of one of my favorite tropes in any kind of like more horror film is the purgatorial nature of it, right? Like so many of these films play up the idea that there are characters that are in some sort of limbo, real or imagined, where, you know, they're kind of grappling with the sins that they committed. Um, in a lot of times it's dealing with like American soldiers and the sins that they committed that was in the the name of war and they were following orders and whatnot. I was, I was struck, um, specifically, John, to the history you're talking about, at how many of the conversations in this film are the characters talking to each other about how like just straight up damn they are, how, yes. how all of them have committed terrible acts yes. and are definitely doomed to hell. And Richard Brake has that really 
great line so about good. burning twice. Best line like in the movie. It, it, even by the standards of the subgenre of films, this is a very fatalistic, like war horror movie. Well, and, and that, that's what I like about it is if you, if you if you have somewhat knowledge of history, you, that you find a greater appreciation for it. Like the the African guy, I, I like I I almost feel like people would be reluctant to put that character in a film now, um, but. Uh, it, it it's it's that, that that's another again like that that that's also mentioned the genocide in Rwanda is covered in in that documentary which I just seen prior to um, watching Outpost. So hearing the experience of of that guy and being a child soldier and killing someone for the first time at the age thirteen, again it it to me it gave me a, just a greater appreciation of the movie. And I don't think a, a lay person or someone that isn't as familiar with um, th- those type of things would would appreciate the movie, and that and that's mm-hmm. what that's ultimately what I, what I feel is is uh, why Outpost really doesn't have the same audience to say Dog Soldiers does is is because they make these little references that I think a lot of people just either miss or don't understand or or really get or, or understand what, what the basis is in history. Um, you know, I, I would really like to see Steve, uh, Steve Barker. I, I've, I've, I really want a nice special edition of this movie with interviews and commentaries where he can explain, because I'm sure there's more stuff in it that I, I don't know about because I, I, I don't pretend to know, you know, I'm not an expert on European history or world history so I'm sure there are things that I'm missing that are that are in the movie, um, yeah. and it's really great that you bring up Purgatory because that's basically where these undead German soldiers have been existing since the war ended, and and this this is something like that I think is actually cool about the movie, but I think a lot of people may or may not like. What I think is cool about this movie and what I think works for this movie is they never truly establish like the rules and it works for this narrative because there was these, we learn as the movie progresses that there the SS were doing experiments in this bunker on German soldiers to do two things. One, bring them back from the dead. And then two, make them be able to appear anywhere at any time. The bending of space and time. And that's what the machine within the bunker can do. And that's, we'll ultimately find out what Ray Stevenson and the mercenaries are there to secure. They're, they're there to secure this machine that can bring people back from the dead and bend space and time. Okay. But the thing is, obviously zombie soldiers did not appear on the white house lawn as intended. So the machine kind of works, but it doesn't actually work the way they wanted it to. So you never really know. Well, they're kind of stuck there so they can appear and disappear. But then there's the scene where one like kind of pops out of the ground. So that to me 
leads me to believe like he got transported wrong and he got stuck in the mud and then he like came out of the mud, you know, because he didn't show up where he was supposed to. So that's, I, I like the idea that it works, but it half works. It's a subtle thing. I don't know if it's actually intended by the filmmaker, but that, that, that's my interpretation of it. So you never really know how you can kill them. You don't really know if turning it on or off, is it on all the time? Do we have to turn it on to make them go away? Do we have to turn it off to make them go away? Do we turn it on and back off? Does it need a restart? You don't know. And I think that is what works because the characters don't really know. And you get the idea that the people who built it don't really know either and didn't really know. And that's kind of why we're in the situation that we're in. Because it kind of worked, but it didn't exactly work the way we intended. Similar to Event Horizon, as we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Well, I like that for the purgatorial nature. uh, Because going back to the question prior monogle where you asked like you know this is one of those movies that why isn't it more appreciated something of that nature and we'll get to that later obviously but in the quick response to that is because this isn't really a fun action film it's not (laughs) something like overlord it's not something like even the layer is trying to be where it's action forward military uh horror this is very much like number one a condemnation of war it's a condemnation on anything you want to go down the list genocide war crimes, experimentation, uh, military experimentation specifically. So all of those themes and everything it's trying to say there, I think it works with that nature where the Nazi ghosts, I think they even refer to them because like they're zombies, they're ghosts, they're whatever they are. Whatever they are in the end, they're just there to kill these soldiers one by one. They are all reliving their sins. Like, you know, like the one French soldier the entire time clutching onto his rosary and recalling all the all the dead bodies he's created or you know richard brake playing a pitch perfect american stereotype like the jarhead soldier just doing i love he's just playing his character from doom and that sounds so fucking stupid to say but the moment where he takes the joint out and outpost i'm like holy shit he literally is the same character from doom like he's playing the same gun nut crazed american soldier who just gets high and kills people but all that stuff together i think that is what makes outpost so intriguing and Again, I had never seen it until I did the watch for this podcast. I immediately like am obsessed with it in a way like where it's just it's able to tell the story of how fucking vile war is. And it puts these soldiers in that scenario where they just have to reflect on it. And even Ray Stevenson's character, you know, they all just commit to the fact that they're not getting out of this alive and they don't deserve to. So I it's hard to sell that package. It's hard to be like, hey, fun Friday night at the movies let's go see outposts and then feel real bad. <laughs> and John, you compared it to uh, dog soldiers earlier. I mean, when I think of dog soldiers, one of the first things that popped in my head is where the guy like throws down his weapons and is like, I'm going to go fist to fist to claw and like punch the werewolf in the face. It is an interesting observation, Donato, but I think it's absolutely true. This is not a fun movie, which does not mean that it's not a fun movie. It just means that this movie, when it's pitched to you as a uh, soldiers fighting Nazi ghosts, it is it is nowhere near as lurid or as campy or as like nudge nudge wink wink to the audience as you expect a premise like that to be. Well, and I think that's why I like it. Um, and and th- this is this is one thing that I would uh, that I think a lot of people, a lot of detractors of this film would say. 
they would say, well, I didn't care about anybody. Uh, and I would say, well, I didn't like anybody, but I wouldn't say I didn't care about anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wanted, I mean, the thing is, is, is I wanted to find out like how I wanted that guy to get the machine out, honestly. Like I, and um, I wanted, uh, and I, I didn't really like uh, how, you know, I, I, you know, you're right. They don't deserve to get out and they don't get out. Spoiler. But <laughs> it is, uh, and that's okay because they're all terrible. But I, I, I did want, I did feel for them and I did want them to succeed. Um, I did care about them, but I obviously I didn't like any. I wouldn't want to be around any of them. Like, yeah, because like they're, they're products of war. Like that is the the other part yeah. of the commentary is like they yeah. are all products of the system that they were brought into. The the system that made them heroes or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The system that literally they're getting paid as mercenaries for. So once again, it is just the all encompassing thing that like war just ensnares people and like they can't get out. Like it's just the thing they know, the thing they do, yeah. and that is not a that's not to say that is an evil thing. Like it is just part of unfortunately what happens. Right. And what's the, what's the scene with Ray Stevenson when the, the, the businessman is asking him, they're, they're kind of like doing that gallows conversation right before they know that everything's about to go sideways. And he says, what do you do when you're not, you know, a gun for hire? And he looks at him and says, I drink. And that's the end of the fucking conversation. Right. That is the wavelength that this movie is on. And again, and just like on Halloween night, when you put it on with eight people in your house and you're like, well, what it's, it's, it is, you got to know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, it, it's also, I mean, knowing, knowing, uh, like if you have an understanding of mercenaries and how they actually are, how independent security contractors are hired, it's, you would have to assume that these are the worst of the worst, because yes. if they were not, they would be working for someplace like Blackwater or I forget what the company is called now, but the company does exist now and you can hire them. Um, but the thing is it, it, those guys get paid like the, those Blackwater guys, they get paid a lot of money a year to do what they do. So if you're picking them up in a bar, they probably are not reliable enough to work for one of the, the bigger firms. And that should tell you something that, you know, these, these basically, this is like the scum of the earth, uh, literally that that this guy is hiring to, to retrieve this thing. I don't you know when, when we were going in and watching it, I was expecting, you know, dog soldiers immediately came to mind for all the reasons you said. And, and when I'm sitting down to watch it and there's the zombies thing, I'm thinking like, Oh, overlord. And I'm thinking of shockwaves and I'm thinking of all these kind of things. I think the film that it reminds me the most of having watched it now is actually William Friedkin's sorcerer. about like a kind of a group of damned souls that are like taking on a job that is going to kill all of them. And that we all know on some level that's going to happen. And that's, I mean, does it execute as well as, as sorcerer? No movie could, no movie ever will, but it is, we always talk on the show sort of about companion pieces, right? Cause you sell a movie on the back of another movie. If you can, you know, the film criticism industry is basically, Oh, it's like this and this mashed together. And it, it struck me that like all of the touch points that I would think of for a film like this, I had to throw out the window. I was thinking of things like, like Sorcerer instead, which is I'm a high compliment, but also again, the weird vibes. Well, um, I had one. Uh, so I, I, because um, it was actually sold as um, Platoon meets the sixth sense. 
But I would say it's wild geese meets 13 ghosts. I would watch that movie. I mean, yes. I get the, I get the 13 ghosts way more than the sixth sense. Like that, that that to me makes way more sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like any movie that tries to scientifically explain ghosts where it's like, okay, so like they're, they were, they're, they're there because they were, they were, the, the, the intention was for them to be transported through space to go someplace else. And then they basically got stuck in between point A and point B. So that, that, that's, so I, I like that loose explanation of, of why they're there. Cause I mean, you know, if they're, if they're just zombies, they could just be wandering out throughout Eastern Europe you know, mm-hmm. killing people, but they're stuck in this space because of the machine. Well, John, and that makes me want to ask you the question. This movie takes a very, like we've seen, it's the Mike Mignola of it, of it all, right? Like we've seen the occult in, in Nazis before yes. in, in Hellboy and everything else. Yes. And that's, it's never not a good time. It's right. always a fucking good time. Yes. Don't get me wrong. This movie tries to science it up yeah. a bit in a way that a lot of the, these films don't. And so I'm kind of, we're talking about the differences between these and other movies of its ilk. You know, do you, when a movie, when a movie takes a premise, which is basically like Nazi ghosts and event horizon is another example of all these things. When a movie tries to ground it at least a little bit in some sort of like, you know, practical real world, like physics type thing. Is that a bonus in your book? Or yes. would you prefer that they had basically been like, Oh yeah, they did a spell and now here they are. No, I, I, I'd like, I'd like the scientific explanation. I, I like it. It's like they, they got trapped in between point A and point B. And that's that's why they can't leave this this uh, this this space. And I like that that they're that they've been for the past seventy years they've they've been just getting angrier and meaner and wanting to wanting to be able to leave. So I think it really it, it the idea that that they they're also like tortured in a way um, I, I, is is really. To me, it's 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 bad guys versus bad guys. So, I, I really, I really, I, I, the answer, answer to your question, yes, I lo- I like having some sort of scientific explanation, um, because, um, I don't know that like that that to me makes it a little more, like I say, going back to me being allowed to watch anything that was real, um, that that just increases my appreciation for, mm-hmm. uh, for the for for the film. Yeah, like the, the the no explanation is for the fun movie. The, the no explanation yes. is for the movie that you're looking at everything else. You don't give a shit about the story because the kills yeah. are good or the yes. characters are goofy or it doesn't matter. This movie needs a little more than that. This new movie needs something, I'm not going to say grounded, because obviously a machine that vibrates people into fucking ghost form is not totally grounded. But when you do get deeper new explanation, like, it, it just adds that little bit more to a film that is more serious. Like this isn't just a, Hey, here we are. Nazi ghosts, people die. We no, this is, this is a dark shit. And like, it is just, it's claustrophobic. Like the setting itself of the bunker, you were just trapped underground. It's subterranean. It's all these like things that are weighing down on you. So yeah, it just, it just enhances that flavor. It just, it just makes you feel that dread and that ick. And it's, it sometimes it feels, feels good to feel bad. I like feeling bad. I like feeling bad. I'm just going to admit it. <laughs> 
that'll bring us to kind of the last thing that we we talk about. But I want to I want to bundle this a little bit too because I think we haven't really talked about Ray Stevenson specifically. Yes. So the last question we always ask our guests is how does this find an audience? Um, you know, how does this earn sort of a little bit more cachet and become uh, at least a cult icon to to a certain subsection of war horror fans? And John, I want to ask you that, and I want to bundle the question about about Ray Stevenson too, because we lost him this year too yes. early. His his career as an action icon was unfortunately cut short. You know, how does this become a movie that people look to? But also, does do, does this has this been a little too forgotten in Stevenson's oeuvre of films as well? You know, he has quite a impressive body of work, especially if you're a fan of a certain type of film. And I feel like this one probably deserves more recognition as the beginning of his film career too. Yes. Um, I, I can actually, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Ray Stevenson. Um, I've, I've met Ray Stevenson while he was out promoting kill the Irishman. And he was an mm. absolutely just lovely man. Um, just really, uh, just very enthusiastic. Um, I think he's a great actor. I really loved him i really love kill the irishman i love his performance in it um and after we got done talking about kill the irishman i asked him about this and he really enjoyed being in it he really likes the movie um i told at the time the sequel hadn't come out and mm-hmm. i told him but i knew they were making it and i said i would really like it if you were in the sequel even if it's just for two minutes as a zombie and he said he, he said he loved the movie and he said he would, he would even, he said, if they asked him, he, he would do that. So I don't know if, if he was at, he's not in the, either of the sequels. Um, uh, I, I don't think this, the sequels are as even remotely as well executed as the first film. Um, they're definitely closer to say an overlord. Um, and I, I definitely, uh, because there's such a tonal shift, I, I, I do not enjoy them or recommend them. Um, mm. I got them as soon as I could because I, I, I had no idea. I didn't. I assumed that they'd be following the, um, uh, the, the same tone as the first movie, but they unfortunately don't. At least, unfortunate for my taste. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, Ray, Ray Stevens was a, uh, a, a really great great person, great actor. And I feel bad that, uh, we're, we're not going to get uh, more stuff from him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, a definitely, a, a, a nice person. And, um, I, I was, I felt bad when I learned that he passed on. Yeah. It's just the fucking presence, man. It's just, you get an actor like Stevenson, like when he just walks into a room in any of these scenes, it just exudes that kind of like military gruffness. And it's hard to, you know, badass is one of those words you want to say, but again, when we know who these characters are and what they lived and what they're like dealing with, he just yeah. does the face so well of, I am here to do a job. I am in pain. I am absolutely going to kick some ass, but at the end of the day, like there's a lot going on here. Like, and he just conveys that and he's done that so well, like across the board and, you know, just, he made such a career of playing that kind of stoic brooding, just manly man and you know to say it that way whatever but that is the persona that he like embodied he did so well playing those characters and 
it works well here at Outpost. He plays the team leader. He plays everything about that so well. And yeah, like, God, so many more movies that he could have just kept cranking out. And that, that is so sad. But to me, how do you get Outpost on, in more eye sockets, whatever you want to, however you want to <laughs> phrase that? That was obviously the way that yeah. <laughs> we yeah. all well, phrased. I, and I have an answer for that. Um, earlier in the podcast, I talked about my appreciation for physical media. Well, the, I also mentioned how when I was at Spooky Dance House, DVDs would come to the house, you know, at physical DVDs that would just stack. Some would get watched, some wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I think what's great about streaming is that when you hear about a movie, you could just go home and instantly put it on. There's no waiting for it to show up. There's no going to the store. Do they have it? Do they not? Is this the version I want? Whatever. You, you, the, the great thing about streaming is that it's instantaneous. So what, what I would say is I, I would love to see Outpost on, say, a Shutter or one of these other platforms. And I think especially now's the time that, that we lost, unfortunately, now that we lost Ray Stevenson, I think people um, would would just check it out simply based on his uh, on his name. So I would really like to see it um, come to a streaming platform soon. Um, I don't know if he had anything else that was yet to come out, because wasn't he on like a Star Wars show or something? He has a few films that have that are in one film in particular that's in post production, um, and a few other projects I think that are that are making their way or have already made their way to distribution. So he's, I he wasn't. He he wasn't like a um, a Tom Sizemore where he had like bit parts in like fourteen different films and they're just gonna sort of trickle in over the next four years. He had a few projects lined up and I think that was it. Okay. Well, I, I hope that someone will piggyback off of one of those and re- and put Outpost on Shutter at the same time that one of those movies comes out, so people can just um, can at least see it. Um, and I understand that it's not for everybody, and other people have different life experiences than me. And my life experience definitely shaped my appreciation for Outpost. So I hope that people at least just give it a shot. And um, I mean, you know, the the work you know i mean it's better than frankenstein's army okay i don't care what anyone says it's better than frankenstein's army i hated that movie <laughs> whack as hell whack i will say like i i like to do the double bill it's like how do you get people to watch something well pair yes. it with something that'll that'll work alongside it and i know it is a very different type of film than say an overlord but how i would try to get people into outpost is Honestly, I think show them Outpost first with the promise of Overlord after because you watch Outpost, you're able to appreciate that for what it is, but then you show them Overlord, you get them to end feeling a little more entertained and fun and have that feeling, like let Outpost kind of cheat and piggyback off that feeling. And all of a sudden, like, I I think those work together, even though they're kind of at odds with one another tonally, they both represent at least two sides of the spectrum of military filmmaking. And again, you close with something that is a little more, it's weird to say upbeat. It's weird to say all these words, but we just had a Halloween party and I literally put outpost, not outpost, sorry, overlook on the TV on mute and just let it play. And like, we just sat there looking at it going like, yeah, it's fucking rules every five minutes. Just look over and be like, yeah, this movie fucking kicks, kicks rocks. Yeah. And I will say that, that uh, outpost is streaming on Tubi and its sequel is streaming on Tubi, which is the good news. The bad news, John, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think that this needs to to have an element of curation to it. 
Tubi's a platform we love. We love Tubi. We talk about how much we like Tubi all the time. But when you take any kind of a streamer, especially when you're talking about direct-to-video movies, they're just sort of all there. And the onus, the burden is put upon the audience in order to figure out what are the good ones and what are the not-so-good ones. The beauty of a platform like Shudder, the beauty of a platform like Criterion, which is continuing to do more and more with 90s and, and 2000s horror, is you are able to, to create that that um, that double feature, that triple feature. You're able to vibe watch. I go through periods where I really want to watch like a bunch of war horror movies in a bunch, and I'll, I'll go watch Overlord and Dog Soldiers, and I'll even watch uh, the James Badge Dale uh, Netflix Spectral, the Netflix movie from a few years ago, and I just want like all of these things that I can watch. I think Outpost is a movie that might be a hard sell by itself, but it is a film where you get people thinking about, I want to watch a series of movies that fall under same themes, war and horror, Nazi shit. You can make that happen a lot easier if you put it alongside of some other films. And so I think both of you are absolutely right. Like it needs to be showcased. It needs to be held up a little bit. It can't just be like a, a procedurally generated a title card that shows up when you're like flipping through screens. It's just not going to do it any favors. Yeah. Um, anybody see the other movie by Steve Barker, uh, Resort with a Z? No, but I kind of want to. It sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about it. Good. Wait, the literal, oh my God. It's about, they tried to say it was like Jurassic Park, but with zombies. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's not. It, unfortunately, not good. I re- I remember that one because <laughs> yeah. it's resort with a Z, and it's billed yeah. as like Jurassic Park with zombies, where you can go to this resort where there are zombies caged up, and they get yeah. like fun concepts. Did not work for me. Okay, I, I trust you. I trust you. I don't, Donato. I'm gonna go watch this movie this weekend. <laughs> fucking do it, you fucking whatever you are. Nothing makes me want to watch a movie more than Donato saying he didn't. That like actually it. is fair. That there's the there's the fucking God's honest truth. That it actually does track with with the types of movies that I enjoy and that you enjoy. Right. But this is not sauna. I hate to break it to you. This is not Black Hood's Daughter. This is not Hansel and fucking Gretel. Nothing will ever be. That is our episode on Outpost. It is streaming on on Tubi. Uh, don't confuse it with the Scott Eastwood one, which is also pretty good. Uh, from a few years. I think that came out in 2020. Also a good movie. It has absolutely nothing to do with this one other than the fact that there are soldiers. Don't watch that one on accident. John, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really great to talk to you about this movie in particular and kind of your love of war and horror and how those two things came together. I want to give you an opportunity here to talk about um, as much as you can projects, things that are in the pipeline that people want to look out for, anything that you feel comfortable sharing today that you can be like, here's a thing that you might want to go check out. Okay. Um, well, uh, if you're a, a toy fan, watch uh, the History Channel show, Toys That Built America, um, that I'm currently working on right now. Um, it's a really fun show if you like toys, if you're a toy collector or whatever. Um, and then, uh, if you haven't got it already, pick up the Arrow Video Empire of Screams box set. The first one sold out, the fancy one in the fancy box with all the fancy shit sold out. But if you just want the movies with all the extras, um, they're taking pre-orders for uh, pre-orders now for a second pressing of Empire of Screams. I worked very hard on the Robot Jocks extras with Heather Buckley. Um, I've heard people say that that box set is their favorite piece of physical media. Uh, Do not sleep on it. If you're an Empire fan, it is must own. Um, and if you passed on the first one because you didn't want the fancy box, you don't have room for a fancy box or whatever, 
definitely pick up this second pressing, uh, which is just in a regular case with just the discs. Uh, you will not be disappointed by the extras that we put together for that set. Awesome. And if apparently if you have any uh, any good comic book art that you want to sell oh. to them, you should you should reach out yes. to them on social media. That's too. true. I do like to buy things. So if you happen to have any screen used movie props, I'm interested to see them. But obviously, I specialize in robot jocks and empire related things. Or if you have any comic book art, I'm always interested in purchasing comic book art, uh, particularly if it's horror related, anything Jason Leatherface, Leatherface versus Jason, you know, Dark Horse, anything like that. I'm I'm always interested if you need uh, some cash and don't want to pay the uh, auction house uh, fees or taxes. Did you see that they were doing a uh, special Halloween discount for Harrow County that they had all of the original artwork from that graphic, not the dark horse graphic novel series. They were selling a, a, like a big bulk thing. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't read that gorgeous, I, absolutely. I, I have gorgeous. not, I have not read it. Um, but I did, I did happen to catch that. I saw it's that really it cool. was that they were offering a discount. Strongly recommend Harrow County. I, that's going to be my pimp is just the thing that I promote is, is everybody go read Harrow County. That's, that's a really good comic book. Uh, Donato. What do you have in the pipeline from your week off? I don't know, man. Just at Donato Bomb on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok sometimes. Um, all those places follow me. I have trickled the final, you know, reviews from festivals out. We are now focused on the end of the year. So that means less writing, more award screen, screener watching. But I will have features still coming out. Plenty to talk about, about Best of Horror for the end of the year. I'm going to hit publish, not publish, hit uh, send on a draft tonight for a new Fango piece. And yeah, Thanks. so, you know, I got plenty of stuff coming in the, down the pipeline, but I am too fucking tired to understand how much work I still have left to do this year. I love that. Uh, you can follow me on just Blue Sky. It's it's Monogle and then the whole chart string that they do. Um, I got some horror stuff coming up, too. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be working on the playlist uh, top horror films of the year list again, where I'm spending a lot of my time arguing that Cobweb belongs on that list. We'll see if I win that particular battle or not. I'd also encourage you to follow Certified Forgotten across all social media. Visit certifiedforgotten.com. And hey, since the last time we recorded an episode, we have a brand new Substack, which we're using just to basically cut through all the noise of social media and bring our new articles directly to your inbox, make life a little bit easier for you, maybe give you a little insight into what it takes to own and operate an independent horror site in the year 2023. John, thank you again for joining us, man. We will definitely have to have you come back. There's got to be other war horror movies we can talk about with you for sure. Well, there is something else I wanted to do, so we'll do, yeah. we'll do. it. It's not war, but we could do it. I love it. We'll do it. All right, Donato, take us out with something weird. Dead Nazis, best Nazis. Love it.